Happy Sunday, you beautiful soul. I am so excited you're here for episode number 15. This episode is really an incredible one. This is the conversation I wish someone would have had with me when I was getting started in agriculture and looking to make a way in the beef industry. Allison of Arrow J Beef really took her time in this episode. You can see it is significantly longer than most of the episodes I have on the podcast, but I will tell you every single second is gold. She brought some great detailed information on how her and her husband, Jeff, got their operation going. Both her and her husband are truly first-generation ranchers. They started out with nothing and have built their operation at the speed of cash. And she provides a lot of the details and how-tos during our conversation today. So this one's gonna be more geared towards first-generation ranchers just getting started or slowly building their operation. It's gonna bring you a lot of encouragement to keep with it and slow and steady building at the speed of cash. This conversation was really assuring for me as well, because as you guys know, I now build my operation at the speed of cash as well. And that was a lesson I learned the hard way. So when things are going slowly and you're feeling discouraged and you're feeling really tempted to look into a lot of those loan options that are easily accessible for a lot of farmers and ranchers, make sure you refer back to this episode because this would have saved me so much trouble on my journey had I had this specific conversation when I was first asking around on how to get into the beef industry. So let's head on into Allison's episode, but make sure you stick around because Allison is coming back in December for another episode where we're going to talk specifically on a how-to to provide even more detailed information. We couldn't fit it all into this episode, so she's going to be coming back. I'm really grateful for that. And make sure that you are giving her a follow on her social media platforms at the end of the episodes. I hope you do that for every guest. These guests take their time to come on and pour into our journeys. And it's the least we can do is support them by helping to grow their platforms and sharing their episodes on your social media platform. So I would greatly appreciate it if you would take the time to support those that are pouring into our journeys. So without further ado, let's get to know Allison and Arrow J Beef and her and her husband's story a little bit better. Welcome to the Ranching Brunette Podcast. I am your host, Logan Robinson, and this is the podcast for aspiring first-generation ranchers by an aspiring first-generation rancher with one goal in mind, to get America ranching again. Hey, Allison, thank you so much for joining me on the Ranching Brunette Podcast. I'm really excited for our conversation today. Hi, Logan. I'm so happy to be here. Good. This is going to be really fun, and I can't wait to hear all of the things about Arrow J Beef. So I'm really looking forward to hearing your story, although I know part of it. Will you walk us through your journey from city girl to how you and your husband, Jeff, became first-generation ranchers? Sure. Yes. So I'll start with Jeff. His story is a little more straightforward. (laughs) We are both first-generation ranchers. Jeff was born and raised in the El Dorado Hills area in Central California. And although his family, they weren't ranchers, they did have property and they did have animals and he participated in 4-H and whatnot. But where he got introduced to ranching was in his teens. His grandfather's best friend had a ranch and he went to work for that gentleman. And that's how he got introduced to it. And 
the rest is history <laughs> for him. <laughs> I, on the other hand, had to go through a lot more hoops to get where I am today. Like you said, I was a total city girl born and raised in Southern California. And although I was part of that hectic city life, I did ride horses. So horses were always a part of my life. However, it looked very different. I was part of a hunter jumper show barn. And obviously being in the middle of the city, you don't have a whole lot of land to ride on. So everything that comes with the show world of just riding in arenas and whatnot, it costs a lot of money to have horses in the middle of the city. And we just didn't have that much money to spend on horses. But with that said, I did go on to be a working student and that exposed me to a lot of really great horses that I had the opportunity to ride being a working student for my trainer. I did that for a little while and then I moved on to work for the owner of the equestrian center that I rode at. And as I grew older, I did go through a phase where I kind of fell out of the horses. I went on to college to get my business degree and also dabbled in fashion. I really wanted to get into the fashion industry and went to school for fashion merchandising. And I did end up working in the clothing industry for a little while, but I started to miss the horses. And so it kind of came full circle where I started riding horses again. And what first change of circumstances was I was working for a surf clothing company at the time. And I'm watching all these people who love to surf, skate, and snowboard just making a really great living at what they absolutely love. Mm -hmm. And that really started to affect me. And I thought, you know, well, what is my biggest passion? And it came all the way back around to the horses. I realized that's what I want to do. I want to figure out how I can make a living doing what I love. So when things came full circle, I decided to go back to the equestrian center and work for my previous boss who owned the facility. And that's how I really fell back into kind of the ag world, so to speak. Then it was through that job where I really made a 180 <laughs> in my life. At the time, the owner of the facility had asked me to host a clinic with a horseman, Ricky Quinn. And again, my only real exposure had been to the hunter-jumper world. I really didn't have any interest or knowledge of any other horsemanship styles and really didn't think I needed it, to be honest with you. I had so much experience under my belt that I thought, what else could I learn? So Ricky came into the facility to put on his horsemanship clinic. And I'm telling you, the first day I went up there just to make sure the clinic was running smoothly. And within the first 30 minutes, I couldn't even explain to you what it was about what he was doing. But I knew what I saw with him and his horses. That's what I wanted. I immediately pulled a horse and joined in the clinic. Ricky follows in line of Tom Dorrance and Ray Hunt and Buck Brandman. So for anyone that understands that style of horsemanship, it doesn't just change your perspective with horses. It changes your perspective of life in general. 
So true. What a good way to put that. <laughs> yeah. So really opened my eyes to so much, so much more. I continued to ride under his horsemanship. I rode with Buck a few times in his clinics when he was around one time with Ray Hunt. And through this whole process, it really started to change everything about me and the way I saw things and what was important to me in life really changed. Before I knew it, the city life, there was just nothing else to offer me. And I had an opportunity to go ride Nebraska during calving season with a family. And that was just kind of the nail on the coffin. so to speak. <laughs> I went back to Orange County and just knew I had to do something to make a change in my life to follow my dreams. I wanted to be ranching. I wanted to be working with cattle. I wanted to be on horses and wide open spaces. So after much prayer, I literally just dropped everything and left the city and moved up to Central California. I had family in the El Dorado Hills area, and it's not necessarily where I wanted to end up at the time. For me, it was just, okay, I have family there that I can stay with while I figure things out. So it was the next step for me. So that leads to where I met my husband, Jeff, and <laughs> I was on my way to an interview to teach riding lessons at an equestrian center there in El Dorado Hills. On my way there, Jeff was out fixing fence on the side of the road. And in all my grand ignorance, <laughs> uh, I actually stopped and asked him if he knew of any work around the area. Long story short, 10 months later, we were married. <laughs> oh, I love it. What a God thing right there. Yeah. Oh, it was absolutely a God thing. At this point, Jeff was running his own cattle in his own place. He was leasing land there. He just had a cow-calf operation and was sending cattle to the market. And how we came into our grass-fed beef business was, gosh, it was almost, it was almost accidental. He had a bull break its back. We don't even know how he broke his back, but he was, it was a situation where we were going to have to put him down, but there was nothing else wrong with him. So not wanting to have the beef go to waste, we, along with another couple, harvested him ourselves. We just turned them all into ground beef and we were grinding up the beef and we put it into vacuum sealed bags and whatnot. And there was so much beef that by the time us and the other couple had stuffed our freezers full. We had just an abundance. So we started passing it out to family and close friends. And the beef was just so dang good. I don't know if it's because our family had never had fresh beef before. I know it's also because the quality product that it is, but everybody kept coming back asking for more beef. <laughs> Simultaneously, and I I don't even remember how, but at the same time, Jeff and I had started to become aware of all the wonderful health benefits of 100% grass-fed and finished beef. So here we are getting educated on all-natural, grass-fed, clean beef. We just had this bowl that didn't have antibiotics, that was grass-fed and finished on pasture, no added, you know, 
hormones or anything. Just good, clean beef. Here we have this product. Here we're reading and learning about how good it is for you. And that just led to further investigation. And we're seeing in the stores, the prices on it were just so dang high. And we thought, you know, we really have something here. We have really great beef. Another aspect we really wanted to hit up was we want this to be accessible and affordable to all families. And that's just rolled us into our beef business. We said, let's give this a try. We have a really great product. We already have people that want this product. So let's dive in and see if we can do this. What an incredible story, Allison. This is fascinating to me. Just your full circle from your side of it, from being a total city girl and riding your hunter jumpers and then transitioning completely into the Western way of life. And then with your husbands as well, and you guys truly just going after as first generation on both sides, it's really impressive to me, especially in California. A lot of folks don't picture ranching in California, just like I come from Nevada and people think of Las Vegas when they hear Nevada. And when people hear California, a lot of times they're thinking San Diego or San Francisco, you know, those kind of things, LA. So it's just really fascinating. I love interviewing ranchers in California because it's, there is a lot of ag land. I think a lot of people forget that. And what an amazing way to become a first generation rancher in California. And then also transitioning into direct to consumer from a cow calf operation into a direct consumer beef operation. This is fascinating to me. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. You know, we just kind of took the risk and, and jumped into it and it really has been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of hard work. You know, it was a learning curve for me. Definitely. Jeff, everything comes pretty naturally to him. He had the experience of working for the other rancher. So we had that experience under his belt, but he was just, he was born to ranch. It is every fiber of his being is made for ranching and he's really good at it and just passionate about it. So the first year we only did 10 animals and we did decide the way we operate, we actually harvest every month. So the first year we spread it out doing a couple, I don't think we did one. We usually harvest nine months out of the year, but that year, I think we did a couple. It was a shorter harvest season for us and we did a couple each month. And again, it was just all word of mouth and through relationships. And I think the key is when you have a really great product, you just have to figure out how get how to get it into people's hands. We knew the beef would speak for itself. So what we had to do was just figure out how to get this product in people's hands. And once they tasted the beef, we knew that they would be coming back for more. So we did lots of word of mouth and through family and friends. And it really took off there. And then we also hit up the farmer's markets, the local farmer's markets as well. And that was really beneficial for us. We do sell about two thirds of our business is whole half and quarter beef orders. And then the other third of our business is what we sell retail at these farmer's markets. And we really just use the farmer's markets to gain more clientele. And then once people try our product, they usually then move on to buy bulk beef. Oh, what a wonderful setup. And especially the farmer's markets and be able to have so many 
different walks of life coming through as far as a customer base and be able to introduce your product that way, I think is a really fantastic way to not only market your beef, but also give it the opportunity to speak for itself. And I think that's a wonderful setup that you guys have in transitioning them over into buying bulk beef. Yeah. And I think the key was we knew we had this great product with being 100% grass fed and finished. We're no antibiotics, no hormones. They live on pasture year round. We have access to thousands of acres of land where they get to roam around and graze and just live as cattle should. So we had this really great product and it was just finding the market that wanted this product and knowing who our market was. And then we would hit up the farmer's market in those areas. What a great game plan and just getting your product out and starting you know, from scratch and building up that way and then really looking for your target audience. I think that's a really smart and strategic way to go about doing that instead of just kind of throwing yourself out there and seeing what sticks. It sounds like you guys went into that with a huge strategy behind it. I think that's really important. Yeah, I think just knowing your target market is key. We've had a lot of other friends reach out to us that are interested in selling beef and they're always asking, you know, where do we start and what should our price point be? And well, what kind of beef should we have? And I think the key starting point there is know what what type of product you want to have, what type of product that you believe in. To us, we really believe in all the incredible health benefits of the grass-fed beef. And we also, we believe in how we're raising these animals and how we're caring for the land while we're doing it. We have a holistic view on this. And by that, I mean, W-H-O-L-E, holistic view. You know, we want to be raising cattle in a humane way where cattle just get to be cattle. We take great pride in that. and We want to be taking care of the land in a way where we're leaving it better than it was when we came here. And then the product that we're providing to families, it's really, really important to us that people know their food source. That was another thing and just as we were learning and getting educated on all this, we really saw a lot of the flaws in the food system. We really felt convicted about knowing your food source and we wanted to be part of the solution. And granted, we're only beef right now, but that was where we could be the answer. So although people can't necessarily come out to our ranch because we have since moved. We're in Northern California now. We had to move out of the El Dorado Hills area just because of all the development there. So we moved up to Northern California and we are in a very remote location. So we really take advantage of social media in that way where we can use that as an outlet for people to see what's happening here on the ranch or here with their beef or we share recipe ideas. So that's one good thing about social media. It can be a good tool to use where we welcome them to see how their cattle are being raised and what's happening on the ranch. And we really take priority in building a relationship with our customers. That's really important to us. Like I said before, the beef is going to speak for itself. So even at the farmer's market, there actually is not a whole lot of sales going on. I know when people approach my booth, they're there to buy the beef they're going to buy something. So I really try to make it a point to take an opportunity just to talk with them and get to know them and allow them to ask questions and get to know us. 
so that they are confident in the product that they are getting and who they are getting it from, that they know their rancher and they know where their beef comes. Um, we're all about asking questions. We want to be an open book and let people come into our lives and, and understand how the process works and have confidence in us as well. That's fantastic, Allison. I love how you went into that and really just kind of explained the process and what you guys have done to build up, you know, from ground zero into what you guys are doing now. And I really appreciate you sharing the details because I think a lot of folks, they've got a lot of questions on the how-to and, you know, people hear folks' stories and it's like, okay, well, you know, what's the nitty gritty behind it? What's the how-to and hearing the process of, you know, instead of just beginning to end, I love how you explained the middle in there and kind of some of the things you guys did to get to that end point. I mean, not end, you know, permanently, but to where you guys are around now. And I think that's really important to go into those details. So I thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. Okay. Let's talk all things Arrow J Beef. Not only is your story fascinating to me on how you ended up becoming a rancher, but the journey y'all have had in getting 260 acres of sagebrush to flourish as pasture land and building your operation at the speed of cash is truly impressive. We walk us through this side of your story. Sure. So yeah, like I said, when I met Jeff, he had his operation in Central California there in El Dorado Hills, and he had a beautiful piece of property, but they were really expanding neighborhoods and very, very rapidly around him. So we knew it was only a matter of time. The property he was leased on was owned by Lenar Homes, and we knew it was only a matter of time before our time would end there. And Jeff, when I met him, he owned 260 acres in Northern California, middle of nowhere. So that was our five to 10 year plan. Well, (laughs) our five to 10 year plan got pushed into about a six month plan. (laughs) because uh, Yeah. Lenar Holmes came in one day and said, you're out like tomorrow. And it was the middle of calving season. And we said, oh, it was... It was a very challenging time. Yeah, we we were trying to explain to these developers, you can't just haul cattle out while they're calving. So when we got the notice, the first thing out of Jeff's mouth was, well, we're going to Ravendale and my jaw just kind of hit the ground. I was three months pregnant at the time with our first child. Oh no, (laughs) it's worse. (laughs) Yes. And I thought, we can't go there. There's absolutely nothing there. I mean, we are complete homesteaders. There is no power on this property. There was not a house built on this property yet. Do you have to say, looking back, I know it was completely God's hands and completely his will for us to get thrust into just making this work. And it was a blessing in disguise, but you know, God provided and through a series of events, we were able to make it work. Lo and behold, there was one little house out here in the middle of nowhere that happened to be available for rent. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so that fall, we moved all the cattle up to the property that we owned up here. And we did acquire some pasture to lease as well. And the property that Jeff owned, he had started farming it. We had been splitting time between Central California and Northern California. So it's not like we arrived just on sagebrush. He had started the process of clearing it, farming it, and growing grass on it. So it wasn't a complete blank slate, but it was a challenge. But again, looking back, 
at it being a blessing in disguise, they developed so fast in the area that we were that it just was not going to work for us to ranch there anymore. And it's kind of like when you get married or you start a family, is there ever a perfect time to make that jump to do it? (laughs) You know, you always see this list of, well, let's get this step first and let's do this and let's do that. And sometimes you just got to dive in. And I forget who has the saying, jump. I think it's Jill, Jill Winger with Prairie Homestead. She said, jump and put together the parachute on your way down and getting it done is better than perfect. So it also pushed us on the grass-fed beef business side because we knew, gosh, if if we're going to do this, we really got to make this beef business work. So it was a it was a really great motivator <laughs> to really hustle and make things work out. So we've been up here going on nine years now, and we have since acquired another 500 acres of beautiful sagebrush. <laughs> but the property that we originally owned, Jeff has that almost completely working for us. He built it from the ground up. We he built a beautiful set of corrals that works great, and he's cleared all that land, turning it into pasture and hay fields because we do have to cut and bale our own hay. So it really has come a long way in being able to acquire even more land to turn that into grasslands. We're really excited about. But I know you asked about doing it on a cash basis. That was one thing we knew without a doubt going into this. Jeff and I both agreed that we wanted to work on a cash basis and we didn't want to go into grand debt just because of this new venture. That was really important to us. We've seen so many other ranchers that just can't climb out of that hole. And not even, it's not even, I shouldn't even say ranching. I think that's in any business. You just get trapped by that debt. So we made it a point that we were going to work at the rate of cash which is very, very challenging and it's doable. I would encourage anybody else to do it. It's something we really believe in. It just takes a lot of patience and a lot of hard work and a lot of sacrifice. And in the beginning, that did mean that obviously we weren't going to make a living off of just harvesting 10 animals that first year. So Jeff Mm -hmm. did have to work outside of our operation. And that was really hard because he's going to work for someone else all day, then coming home and having to handle our cattle and work our herd. And it just comes with a lot of sacrifice as well. You know, there's no buying anything new. We don't buy new equipment. We buy old used equipment that needs a lot of TLC. But you know what? I think sometimes that old stuff almost works better than the new stuff. (laughs) I would agree. And I don't know if it's just because I'm in the same boat that we've done used old equipment, Uh, but you know, the parts are cheaper. They're typically easier to work on and they get the job done. It just might be a little bit slower than the newer stuff. You're right. You're absolutely right. So we've watched neighbor ranchers go out and buy a brand new, really fancy John Deere tractor. And then we see it sit in the middle of the field for a month because it's broken. (laughs) So, you know what? I would encourage anyone to, you know, don't be ashamed of buying the older stuff and doing a lot of the work yourself just to fix it up and make it work for you. And 
there was a lot of sacrifice just on a personal level. You know, we don't eat out and we do everything we can ourselves to keep things affordable. But it really is also a great position to be in and completely worth it for so many reasons. Uh, When you do work on a cash basis, we always list out, you know, what is the next piece of equipment we need or or the thing we need for the ranch. And we know we have to save up and set aside for that. And it really gives you a lot of buying power. Jeff is a very patient man. And when we get the money to buy that next piece of equipment, he just takes his time. And every once in a blue moon, you will come across a really great opportunity. And when you have that cash set aside and you have that buying power and you're in position, you're at the right place at the right time, you win. You get a great deal on a piece of equipment or or a piece of land. That's how we acquired the additional land that we just purchased. It was putting ourselves in a position that when the right opportunity came up, we were ready. So it's really a, does give you a lot of buying power and a lot of security too. It's really nice to look out and know everything we have, we own and the value in all those assets. I mean, there is nothing we would rather do in life. You would have to pull me away from this life kicking and screaming, but (laughs) worst case scenario, should anything happen, we have all these assets that would really give us a really financially provide for us to start over somewhere. Yeah. So it's nice having that security as well. Absolutely. And also, you know, we have three kids that we're really hoping would love to take over this operation one day. And we don't want to leave them with a lot of debt. We want to give them something that they can thrive on and mm. continue to move forward. So you're always a slave to the person that you owe money to. So I just highly encourage anybody to just take it slow one day at a time and work at a cash basis, you will not regret it. I can guarantee you that. I love that, Allison. The way you went into that, so many things that I believe in and stand behind as well. And, you know, I was getting goosebumps listening to that because not a lot of people, especially in this day and age with how convenient it is to get financing in so many ways, not a lot of people are willing to have that patience, you know, and in a world with instant gratification, delayed gratification, delayed reward, Delayed success is really hard for, I think, our culture to accept these days. And I love how you went into that because it's not, it's not easy. It's not easy to operate the speed of cash, but you're so right. You know, the assets you have, or I've said that before, if something happens, you can sit tight. If, you know, things are slow for a few months, you don't have all this overhead that's just piling up. Or if you need to start over for, you know, Lord forbid, any reason, you've got cash assets and ranching, the land and the equipment and the stuff you need, that's a lot of assets when you own them. And it would it would set you up financially to start over, like you mentioned. Hopefully none of us ever have to do that. But those are some huge rewards and benefits in that delayed gratification and having patience. And I love how you went into Jeff having being being a very patient man and having that knowledge and wisdom to sit tight and wait for that deal to come. Because there's been a lot of things that before we operated the speed of cash, I've come across some great deals but I had no resources to jump on it. And by the time I went to the bank to finance something before I knew any better or went a different approach with the cash basis, that opportunity was gone. Somebody else snuck in and grabbed it that was set up 
and prepared, like you were talking about and getting themselves in that position sure. and then bam, that deal was gone. So I love and really appreciate that you went into that because that's, there's so much truth behind that and a lot of wisdom in that. And it really does something to the inside of you too. Yeah. When you look out and you're looking at your herd and you know, those are yours and how hard you had to work for that, or you're cutting and bailing your own hay with all your own equipment. Yeah. Knowing instead of looking, going, oh gosh, I owe on that. I owe on that. And oh, you know, now this broke, but I still owe on this. And it does do something to the inside of you. And any little I truly believe any little piece of encouragement you get in your life leads to more success. You know, you get successful in one area, you have that drive to be more successful in another. So let it change you inside. It's very humbling. And my, my, I call my bonus dad, my stepdad, he always says, Chrome don't get you home. And when you were talking about uh, the neighbor buying the brand new John Deere and then it breaks down, it's sitting in the field for a month. Well, how many times have we been in that position where our old piece of equipment breaks down and you got to buy a part. Well, either way, you know, in the, in a sense, you're making a, a payment, whether it's yeah. a payment on that big fancy tractor and it breaks down and you no longer have the money to fix it because you're paying the note on that, or you've got your old piece of equipment that breaks down and you go buy the parts for it. And it equals, you know, say once in a blue moon, the amount of a monthly payment on something, you know, you kind of have a wash there and it's like, okay, you know, you could be sitting on this beautiful piece of equipment, but when it breaks, you're screwed. You got to save up and get money for that part or put it on a credit card. And then you're even more in the hole. Yeah. Or you have this old equipment and that's something my bonus dad drilled into us is Chrome. Don't get you home. Yep. And you got to have something paid off. And when it breaks, you fix it. And yeah, it's going to break because it's older, but either way, you know, you're going to be putting some money out, but would you rather own it or would you rather be in debt on it? Exactly. And so it's something I always think about when I see, you know, a fancy rig go down the road. It's like, man, it's a beautiful rig or, you know, a really nice piece of equipment. And then I always, that always pops in my mind and it's something that's really profound for me. So I love how you went into that. And it doesn't mean you can't have it at some point, you know, for us, that'd be really great to get to that point. (laughs) We aren't saying we don't want it. Right. There's a time for everything. So just be patient and, you know, work within your means at one point. And I think you actually get to that point where you can buy that Chrome to get you down the road. (laughs) Yeah. And you could pay cash for it. Yes. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And I remember when he first told me that, I'm like, what? I don't quite understand. (laughs) Uh, I'm like, Chrome, what are you talking about? Yeah. He's like, it doesn't matter what it looks like. What's going to get you home or get the job done is what's under the hood. And we know we were talking about trucks at the time. He's like, it's all mechanical. You know, if it, if it runs and gets you down the road, that's what counts. If it, you know, it may not look like the prettiest, fanciest thing, but you know, you get to a point, like you said, where then you're driving, what's Dave Ramsey always say, drive like no one else. So later you can drive like no one else. And down the road, you're gonna be able to walk in and pay cash for that new John Deere by setting yourself up and putting yourself in that position and sacrificing for so many years during your startup. Yeah. All right. So this is something I've talked about this year as a positive for direct-to-consumer producers. So I'm really excited to hear more on how the obstacles of 2020 with all the COVID-19 chaos has turned into quite the growth for AeroJ Beef. Share with us your experience with the increase in folks relying more on direct food sources. Yeah, man, what a crazy year it has been, right? (laughs) It's been a roller coaster ride for sure. And I feel guilty even saying it, but I guess it's the silver lining for this COVID because COVID has been so horrible for so many people. But the silver lining is 
it's really drawn a lot of attention to smaller ranchers and farmers, or I guess not even smaller, but just those that are operating as a ranch or farm direct food source. Like I said, we we have a really, really great product. So we've just spent so much time building relationships with customers. One of the reasons, again, why we started this ranch direct beef business was because we did see a flaw in the food industry with the major monopolies where it would bottleneck. And we knew it was just kind of a matter of time. And we knew we had a really great product. So again, we're just building relationships with customers. So when everything happened and when everything did bottleneck and food wasn't necessarily getting to stores and all these big plants were shutting down, it really put us in the position. I guess we were kind of already in that position because we had built these relationships with people. It was anybody that had previously kind of been on the fence. It was just the push that they needed to dive into buying Ranch Direct rather than the grocery store. So this year has really taken off for us. Like I said before, it was about 70% of our business was through the bulk beef, the whole half and quarter animals. And this year it has been 100% of our business with a wait list. Again, we harvest every single month. And I want to say by July, I had the remainder of the year already sold out. Wow. And again, it's just, it's being there, making relationships with people, people knowing about you. So when something like this happened, Mm -hmm. they knew where to turn to. We were the name that they knew in their household. We were the people that they had seen, had built a relationship with. And it's really been exciting for us to see other farmers and ranchers get the attention that we feel that they have deserved since yeah. day one. And I think I think COVID just, it really did shed a light on all those flaws in our food industry. You know, I think when food is so easily accessible in the grocery store, it's not something that you have to think about. It's not something you have to face. It's just easy to go to the grocery store, pick up whatever you need. And When food became scarce because of this COVID and because of transportation issues and big plants shutting down, consumers that didn't normally have to think about these things were really faced with the truth and saw what could possibly go wrong. So in the midst of everything that's happening, again, I don't want to be disrespectful for what has been happening. But the positive of it is, I think, the awareness that it has brought to our our community of ranch direct ranchers. Couldn't agree with you more on that. And like you said, if you know folks going to the grocery store that are not associated with agriculture in any way, they don't have to think about these things. And then when this got brought to the light, where all of a sudden that supply chain, you know, is broken, and all the flaws that us and ag know about, whether we're direct to consumer or large cow-calf operations or, you know, feedlots, whatever it might be, we all knew how much farmers and ranchers really, you know, are not profiting a whole lot off of this because of so many flaws in the system. And a lot of folks had to be made aware of this. And then they were finding other sources to be able to support farmers and ranchers. 
in other ways while still feeding their families. And I couldn't agree with you more on that. Like, like you said, you know, you don't want to be disrespectful to the severity of what COVID-19 has brought this year, but there, there is the silver lining. And I think it's great that a lot of folks that, you know, typically direct to consumer is smaller operations, not always, but it was a really good chance for people in ag who are direct to consumer to win this year. And I think that's something that's a huge positive in that they were still able to take care of their communities and people close to them. Or, you know, even if it's nationwide, if they were shipping direct, America was still getting fed. And I think that's a fantastic yeah. way to look at it and find some of the the positives in such a dark year. I mean, it really has been a dark year and a lot of people have been impacted by this virus. And so I love the way you answered that. Yeah. Like I said, I think it was just kind of the push people needed to jump in and give it a try. And I get it. Being from Southern California, I never thought of buying ranch or farm direct food ever. And it can be such a foreign concept. So I can empathize with those people. So it makes me really proud of the people that do live in these bigger cities that make the choice to give it a try. And I think they realize once they do it, they see how easy it is and they see the benefits of it and how fresh their meat is. That could be a whole other topic talking about (laughs) what fresh beef is. It comes to you frozen, but (laughs) what I mean by fresh is it is harvested and then packaged and frozen immediately. So it is frozen in these packages, stealing in all those fresh nutrients. It's not like when you go to the grocery store, how many hands it's gone through and you know how old is it after the harvesting, what has happened to the beef. So people are saying, hey, how easy it really is to buy Ranch Direct. And the benefits of having a freezer full of beef I think once people make that decision, I understand it's a big purchase for people. That is a big decision financially and just being prepared to have that much beef on hand. But when they do make the decision to buy in bulk, buy the whole half or quarter, they have the best quality beef, the freshest beef at the best prices because they're buying at bulk. It's easy to get. And then they have healthy meals on hand. And I think people realize how great that is. It's such a blessing. What are we going to have for dinner tonight? Let's go see what's in our freezer and kind of base around their meal around that. And I do believe that families do get to eat better when they have it on hand already. It's been fun for us this year to see those people that were kind of on the fence, take the dive in and just see how much they enjoy it. And We deliver, our furthest delivery is still to Southern California. That's as far as we go, which we do deliver ourselves. Jeff and I, we have a freezer van and we pick up the beef from the butcher and we drive it right to you. So other than the butchering, we really do handle every part of your beef from start to finish. (laughs) Cattle start to finish. No one else ever owns or handles them. So you know exactly what you're getting. And then we pick it up and we deliver it directly to your hand. And just to see everyone's excitement over it. And we do a delivery down to Southern California in the spring and again in the fall. So this last spring, as COVID hit and everything was happening, all those people that were on the fence just kind of dove in and they all got a quarter beef. You know, they don't want to put too much into it and they aren't really sure. And it's so fun to watch them because 
about a month or two later, all these same people are calling again going, okay, when are you going to be here again? I didn't get enough beef. We love this. So it's fun for us just to see the fruits of all our labor. That is what we wanted. We started this whole entire business for that very reason, to see these customers get this great beef at this great price and know where their food's coming from and have a good enough relationship with us where they they just text me. Most of our customers just text me. Hey, I need more beef. Get me more beef. <laughs> so on that side of things, it has been a fun year getting to know a lot of new customers, seeing everyone really enjoy beef and seeing everybody make that switch to ranch and farm direct foods. That's fantastic, Allison. I love listening to how this year has really impacted and helped grown your business of AeroJ Beef and, you know, just that re- customer relation. And I think that's a great way because you guys planted the seed, you started the relationship, and then you delivered a product that, like you said, it truly does speak for itself. When you eat fresh beef or fresh pork or fresh chicken, whatever meat you're buying fresh direct from your rancher or farmer, you can taste the difference. Yeah. And then that helps solidify that trust of your customer trusting you and your product and then builds onto those relations even stronger. And it's really funny because even my own family, they know that I do this podcast and have all of these folks that come on that Uh ship direct to people across the nation and their grocery stores ran out of beef and was talking to them like, what are we going to do? There's no meat. And I'm like, I could give you a list of about 20 people right now and you could go listen to (laughs) some of their episodes. And you know what they did? They went on and they ordered the beef and they had even said, how fantastic that that flavor profile was and just the quality of the meat. And they they were shocked at the difference between buying it from their local grocery store and having it shipped to them from a farmer or rancher that does direct to consumer beef or they're looking at finding somebody close to them. And those folks were able to deliver for them and it was a fantastic product. And my family, who's all into the Western way of life and totally support agriculture and they they had no idea, you know, so it's, it's not even that. Folks who live in, in town or in the city, that they're oblivious to it. Even folks live in a country way of life, unless they've processed their own animals or have had an opportunity to taste that fresh meat, they're not even aware of how much better it is. Yeah. Not only quality-wise, but just that flavor. And really, in your recipes, in your meals, it really adds an extra element to it that you don't even know you're missing. Yeah. And we do have, gosh, I don't know the exact percentage, but... I would guess we have about a 97, 98% return rate. There are very, I could probably count on one hand customers I'm aware of that have not come back. Yeah. I would say, I mean, we have customers that have been with us since nine years ago when we started that routinely once a year, Mm -hmm. they get a whole animal, stock up their freezer. And I know every single year, you know, it's, whatever month they buy in, I know about a year later, they're going to be back for more. And they do. You just cannot beat the quality of the product you're getting or the price. And, you know, I think people, they do want to vote with their dollar. They do want to see responsible stewardship. It makes them feel good, not just to get a good product, but they know our beliefs and how we're raising these animals and how we're caring for the land. And they take great pride in the fact that they can support a family that is doing their best again to leave the land better than we found it again it's the holistic view how can we all help each other and the consumer plays a huge role in it 
not not everybody can ranch. Not everybody can farm. Right. We have a handful of customers that are homesteaders, but where they live, they can't raise a steer. So they have all their other own food, but that's the one area that they're missing. And we can fill in for that puzzle piece for them. So we understand that not everybody can do this. So it's really important that the consumer does find their food source. And then it is just as important on the other end, you know, ranchers and farmers, we got to be transparent. We got to be available for questions. We have to be willing to take time with the consumer to help them understand how their food is being raised and how the land is being cared for and the whole process. So we can all play the role that we're meant to play in this full circle of life. Oh, I couldn't agree with you more on that, Allison. I love how you went into that. And because, you know, there's a lot of folks who maybe they don't like large animals or maybe they just don't want to have to deal with the hassle of raising them day in and day out, but they're doing other aspects of growing their own food and homesteading. And I love how you went into that, you know, providing that for that niche market as well. And then also I wanted to touch on the way you guys go out of your way to deliver your beef, you know, making, making your beef runs and going all the way down to Southern California and just bringing the product right to your customers, because that takes a lot of the hassle out of it. You know, I've heard a lot of folks say, well, you know, it's kind of a hassle to buy direct from somebody if I have to go out of my way to get it. And so I love how you eliminate that problem for your customers as well, that you're bringing it to them or, you know, having to drop off location if, you know, the area you live in has really strict social distancing rules or anything like that. I think that's a fantastic way to go above and beyond for your customers. Yeah. And again, that comes back to even that's part of our cash basis, doing everything ourselves. It would be really fantastic to at some point have someone that can deliver the beef for us because it does take time. But the flip side of that, it would have to be a very special person that really understands our operation and can answer questions and represent us well, because that is another perk to delivering the beef. People love to come out and I don't know if they care about meeting me so much, but they love to meet Jeff. They want to see the cowboy that's out there, (laughs) you know, raising their beef. The men come out to these pickups. We usually have like a centralized place they can come meet us to pick up their beef. And, you know, they love to get the chance to come out and shake Jeff's hand and actually know the cowboy. And people love to to dream about cowboying and ranching and whatnot. And they want to hear about our lives and whatnot. So when someone does come pick up their beef, it's usually our, our regulars get to a point where they just kind of pick up their beef and we just kind of catch up on life. But for Mm -hmm. anyone new coming out, they come out, they get to meet us, they get to ask any questions. And I've got to tell you, when you are meeting your customer face to face, I think There's a lot of meaning behind that. The fact that these consumers are looking you in the eye, they're shaking your hand. We are not their peddling beef. We have to stand behind the product that we are placing in their hand. So I think it places a greater value and respect uh, between us and the consumer, the fact that they get to meet us, that it's not just here's your beef, we take your money and run type thing, you know, (laughs) but just... (laughs) I'm trying to find the word to explain just the importance of that. And it also gives them an opportunity to ask. We get a lot of people when it's their first time buying bulk beef because they're getting such a variety of cuts. 
they may not have experience with certain cuts of beef or know how to cook it. So it really gives them an opportunity to say, hey, well, what do I do with this? And we get to chat about it and and build that relationship. And if they have problems, they can reach out and, and ask us or inquire. There's so many wonderful aspects of meeting your customers face-to-face. And I think it gives them a lot more buying confidence when they're literally taking the beef out of their rancher's hand into their own hand. Absolutely. It builds just that value and that rapport with your customers. And what a fantastic opportunity to be able to do that and have that. Because think of how many people in other industries that may not have that opportunity to be able to build those kind of customer relations where, you know, like you said, you get to a point where you show up and you're delivering food to help feed their family. And then you're catching up with them to hear what's going on in their life and how their family's doing. And then they get to do the same thing as well. And what a neat way, like it it brings me back. I always think of this, you know, back in days that have gone by, you know, where the milkman was delivering your milk and food was being delivered and that face-to-face interaction and those relationships with where your food is coming from. And I think of those days that have gone by. And when I hear of ranchers and farmers that are doing this kind of thing, it warms my heart to hear that because I think it's something that has been missing for a long time and why so many people are, you know, not aware of where their food's coming from or how it ends up in their grocery store because that piece is gone. Yeah. And I think people get so lost behind their screens and in this day and age, more people will, you know, text or email as opposed to being on the phone or talking in person. And so I love hearing that when folks go out of their way to build those customer relations. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And, you know, at the end of the day, ranching is just what we do. It's not who we are. Well, it is who we are. When you ranch, it's everything about your life and it is who you are. But ultimately, for us, you know, we are Christ followers. And at the end of the day, people are what are most important. And I couldn't agree more with you. We've lost that connection with people. We've lost relationship with all this technology. So our number one priority is making that connection. And it is building those relationships with people and trying to keep that as some value. And it's hard for me doing what we do. I am not going to lie. I We really care about our cattle. Jeff does too. You know every single head in your herd, no matter how many you have, you just get to know your cattle. And when you care for them as much as we do and put such an emphasis on the kind of life that they're living and making sure that they're cared for and whatnot, you I grow an attachment to them. <laughs> and to be honest with you, I think it almost gets harder for me to do this every year instead of easier. Yeah, I'm getting sure. more and more attached to them. And I really have a respect for the animal. I appreciate them. If it was not for the cattle, we would not be doing what we do for a living. So right. I feel like I owe it all to them and I am so grateful for them. And there are days I think, wow, you know, every month when we go to the butcher, it is a hard day for us. Absolutely. But the alternative is, I think, man, I couldn't stop eating meat. That's for sure. And, (laughs) you know, the alternative is look the other direction, go back to buying my meat products in the store and just kind of turn a blind eye to it. I just can't bring myself to be that irresponsible about my buying power. And I rest in the fact that I know, again, the holistic view. We are 
giving these cattle the best life they could possibly have. And I know we can't change everything, but as far as the meat consumers are buying from us, comes from cattle that got to live as cattle should on open land, living a healthy, happy life. And the land that we're running them on is being cared for. So I think it's just a blessing to be able to do what we do. And and I'm proud of our consumers for supporting us in it. Absolutely. You know, and I love how you went into that. If it weren't for the cattle, we wouldn't be doing this. And there's a huge, you know, debt of gratitude to them. I'm so grateful for our cattle as well. And it's a really unique balance, I would say, because we're raising these cattle and providing them a great life, like you mentioned. And then when it's their time, it's quick and it's humane yes. and painless. And I think a lot of folks, you know, they don't, they always wonder, how can you do that? How can you say that? And then knowing that you've got to process them. And I think it's that, like you, you explained that very well. And it's, you know, what we do, we get attached to them and we love our cattle and we care for them. But at the same time, they are providing for us. We provide for them and they provide for us. And it's this beautiful full circle. There's something very unique about this way of life and be able to provide a quality product. And everything in this world has a purpose. And for our beef cattle, you know, they fulfill their purpose for us. And then in exchange, I feel that we provide them the best life possible. And then when it's their time, we make sure that it's quick and we make sure that it's humane and not all cattle get that same respect. So I'm very, I feel very blessed that I can do that for my cattle. And that that's the way of life I've chosen and not to bash grocery store meat in any way, because as long as you're eating meat, you're supporting agriculture. And I fully believe that, but I'm very thankful and grateful to be doing what I get to do in just such a small way. And I guess my whole point of getting so attached, all that to say, I just can't go back to irresponsibly purchasing meat. We'll get right back to this episode in just a moment. I am really excited to announce something new with you. And it's something I've been trying to figure out for a while is how to provide more content for my supporters and my listeners in a way that is exclusive to them that does not get lost in the midst of social media. So I'm really excited to announce that I have joined Patreon and I've made it to where I can provide all of this content, PDFs, additional podcast episodes, and even more great content exclusively for my patron supporters. So head on over to theranchingburnett.com, click on podcast, and you'll be able to see the link to join Patreon there. Or you can head directly to patreon.com and search for The Ranching Brunette right there on the Patreon site. I am so excited to provide this additional content for you, and I greatly appreciate your support in advance. This is brand new. I just launched this, so I thank you for your consideration as I strive to keep this podcast ad-free and provide you as much quality content as possible. All right, let's head back into our episode. This podcast is a big underlying theme of faith throughout the episodes. So as a fellow daughter of Christ, what are a couple of the biggest blessings or moments in your journey this far that you knew were a complete God thing? Oh gosh, I think everything from step one was a God thing. Just even yeah. from the beginning, God bringing certain people into my life while I was still living in Southern California to give me a change of heart about things and a new perspective on life. And when I did decide to leave Southern California, uh, you know, my my house sold in one day without even going on the market. So oh that was a God thing. And then meeting Jeff was a God thing on the side of the road, <laughs> how yeah. we met on the side of the road. And he really has made himself so evident in our life. 
in the past nine years of doing this, even when we were being thrusted out of Central California and had to move out here, we went through some very, very hard years. And we're still in the hard years, but those first few years were extremely challenging for us. And God always provided one thing after another, whether it was a place to live or things we needed. And it has many times kind of been by the skin of our teeth, but he has always been faithful to come through for us. That's for sure. You know, and I think we had a a horrible, horrible storm come through a couple of years ago. And I, it was the first time we had lost some cattle. Jeff's done a really, really great job at choosing the type of cattle that we run. We do a Coriani Angus crossbreed and he's matched cattle to the environment. And the way these cattle are raised, we just don't lose cattle. They're healthy cattle. They aren't getting sick. They don't have problems calving. So for us, when this really bad storm came through, it was like a month. It was horrible. We lost some cattle and that was really hard for us. And, you know, I understand. I think the one consistent in a rancher's life is that nothing is ever consistent. So I understand that things like that happen, but at the time it was very hard for us. And there's been a lot of questioning of whether we should be doing this or not. Doing it by cash has been very hard. And Jeff always says we, as ranchers, live on the ragged edge of profitability all the time. So you do question, you know, God, is this just something I shouldn't be doing? Is this a closed door? But he has yet to close any doors. And Every year, it's something different. And in the beginning, I would really worry. And he has just been so incredibly faithful to us in every aspect of it, whether he protects land for us or provides a place to live for us, or even in the equipment that we need. He has been faithful to provide. So through that walk with him and in trusting him, in him showing up time after time to provide for us, whether it be encouragement or with finances. It's brought me to a point now where I see an obstacle in our life. And now the response is, okay, God, let's see how you're going to show up and make this happen. (laughs) And he always meets us in the most unexpected ways with the most unexpected people. So I don't know if there's exactly huge things where he's been evident more than just really every single day walking with us. And the Bible says a man plans his steps, but God ultimately guides his way. And that is my prayer every single morning. Okay, God, here's my huge list of things to do. You know everything that lays ahead. You know all I have. But God, whatever your will is for today So let it be. And if I need to veer off of that list of things to do, you know what's better. And things do come up constantly, just making decisions about the business and in how we treat our neighbors. God has really blessed us in honoring those relationships with our neighbors and fellow ranchers and our community. And God has just been so good and so real. And I know without a doubt that I can trust him to be our great provider. And I think that's, you know, another thing is I truly believe that the safest place you can be in your life is in the center of God's will 
for your specific life. So if you're someone that's looking to get into the ag industry or you're in it and want to change whatever your heart's desire to be, if it is to be a rancher, I would just encourage you to pray about it. And if that's an open door for you and that's what God wants you to be doing, you're going to face a lot of challenges. But you know what? As long as you're in God's will, and it's his plan for your life. He will give you everything you need to get you through every single challenge that you will face. That's so beautiful, Allison. You're so right. And gosh, I'm just getting chills listening to that because just like when you started answering this question and just him showing up every step of the way, it's not like a couple of big things or, you know, every six months, something it's in the day to day and through every part of your journey. Like I look back and I mean, my story is similar to yours in that I started with horses as a horse trainer. And I look back even then and the people that were placed in my life when I was a horse trainer that were in ranching or I was training horses for them and they were in the beef industry and how I was introduced to that passion. And then, you know, God planning those people and then God planning certain events or a time when I thought that final horse wreck was just the end all be all. It was actually setting me up and, you know, closing a door and one thing to lead me into where I'm at now. And yeah. you're so right. It's all these different things along your story. And you can look back and you can see how it was perfectly aligned in God's divine plan in every step. And it's just amazing to reflect on that. Like you said, you know, there's hard times where you can waver from your faith or question a lot. And if you just reflect back on your story and see how far God has brought you thus far, it really helps give you that perspective and solidify and strengthen your faith going forward, which, I mean, we should never question, but we're only, we're only human. It happens. Sure. And you know that God, like you said, like your prayer every day, that just gave me chills when you mentioned that. And if we get up every morning with that same perspective, and then we just pursue our day, that alone would get you so much farther than questioning every step of the way or getting frustrated when your day doesn't go as planned, or you don't get your checklist done. And I love your perspective on that. That was fantastic, Allison. Thank you for sharing that. As another first-generation rancher, what are some of the things that stand out the most for what has and hasn't worked in growing your operation? Oh, gosh. Well, I think the first thing is kind of a catch-22 because I'm going to say when you work outside of your operation, it's both a great thing and the most harmful. (laughs) And what I mean by that is Jeff got so much experience working outside of our operation. Granted, he didn't have his own yet in the earlier years, but when we moved and started the beef business and we needed supplemental income, that was a real burden on us to have him having to do both jobs. But again, we were trying to work on a cash basis. So there is great learning when you go work under somebody else and you get that experience under your belt. That is very, very valuable. And I would never say to not do that. But with that, I would also say, keeping that in mind, I would also, as quickly as you could, get to where you're working for yourself. Because once you do make that switch and you're solely working on your own operation, that's when things really take off. That was a big swing for us too, because The year we decided to make that jump, our beef business had just really taken off. We were now harvesting enough animals to support ourselves, but 
then there's the swing of not having that additional income. So we kind of had to really tighten up ship again when we made that leap. So financially, it was a little tight when he made the switch to just working for himself. However, because he was home full time, the operation really took off and our finances grew with that as well a lot more rapidly. It does work to work outside and have that supplemental income, but as soon as you can, I would encourage you to just get yourself in a position to where you can be working for your operation full time. And I don't know if this is so much what has or hasn't worked for us, but you know, I really encourage people just to dive in as well. And again, another Jill Winger quote, you know, done is better than perfect. And yeah. Jeff really knew the cattle business well when we started this, but I it was all new to me. Even cooking beef was brand new to me. I had only ever cooked ground beef and steaks. So here we have this beef business where I'm going to farmer's market selling all these cuts of beef that I had never even cooked before. And really, I think people just want to see authenticity more than anything. And I was just honest about things. And I I didn't just sit back about that. I, I was proactive about it. I would start choosing new cuts and research how to cook them and start cooking meals so I could get familiar with them, which is super beneficial. The more you know about your meat, the more you've handled your beef, the easier it is to answer questions for customers and help them through the process as well. So I do highly encourage people to probably cook, cook a lot with it in different ways. Use the cut in different ways, which is a lot of time. I, to be honest with you, I don't want to be, I cook all of our meals because (laughs) I believe in cooking all our meals at home, but it is not my favorite thing to do. But taking the cuts and seeing how all the different ways that you could use them, even if you don't continue to use it that way, get familiar with it and know just from personal experience, I think that's the best way to sell your beef, your own personal experience with beef. And I mean, I've even watched Jeff. I remember the first time I cooked a brisket and I was so intimidated by it because I thought, oh gosh, you have to it and smoke it. It seemed like there were so many steps. And it was actually one of our customers. She would buy a brisket almost every week from us. And I said, what are you doing with this? And she goes, oh, I put it in a crock pot. And I was like, you can crock pot a brisket? (laughs) Um, Who knew? And she was so sweet. She brought me her recipe the next week. So I learned from her. (laughs) And after I made brisket tacos, you know, I'd watch Jeff at Farmer's Market going, oh my gosh, you have to get the brisket. It it makes the best tacos. And so just your own personal experience with your beef is really going to help your sales and your customers can tell if you believe in your product or not. You know, you can't, you really can't fake it. So the more comfortable you are with the beef that you're selling is a great way to go. And again, just don't feel like you have to have it perfect to make that leap into your business. I was absolutely learning as we started this business. And if I didn't know the answer to a question, I had no problem just looking at my customer going, you know what? I don't know, but I'd be happy to find out about that. I mean, I had customers coming up that were throwing out some unique cuts that I'd never heard of. And oh, I 
don't know if we can get that cut done, but let me talk to my butcher. And it's, I think when they get that response, instead of just a no, or I don't know, again, they want that authenticity. And again, you build this relationship and you know what, they would come back to my booth the next week at the farmer's market and I would have an answer for them. And I think they really respected that. And it actually led to a lot more business for us because I would get these specialty cuts for these customers. That the next time we would go into harvest, I'd talk to my butcher, hey, can we do this? And this person wants this. And people just ate that up. They were showing up to the booth because they're like, hey, you have that cut that I really want, right? (laughs) And so you learn from your customers as well. And I don't think there's any shame in that at all. And again, done is better than perfect. Don't stop learning. We're always learning. We're still always learning. Both Jeff and I, I mean, we read lots of publications within our beef industry, even if it's something we don't agree on. We like to see what is happening in the beef business. So it's good to be aware. And sometimes you read something and go, oh, okay, in this area, I could be doing this better. Or you may even read something and go, well, I don't like that thought at all. I'm really (laughs) confident in what we're doing. So just continue (laughs) to get educated. And I'm trying to think like if we have any, I know I'm not saying we haven't made mistakes. I know we have made so many mistakes. But I also think the beauty of our lifestyle is all those mistakes, as cliche as it sounds, it really is true. You learn so much from those mistakes. So I guess my advice would be don't let the failures get you down. I think we talked about this before, Logan, where was it Kaya Twistleman that said, fail your way forward? Yes. Don't stop. Just keep moving forward and you figure out how to make things better and cattle are so forgiving. Yeah, thank goodness. (laughs) Land is forgiving and, you know, you just make an adjustment and make it better. So yeah, I think that's it. Just try to work for your own operation as soon as you can and don't wait for it to be perfect. Just get started. Just do the job. That's fantastic, Allison. I I love your perspective on that, especially just to start with how you first answered that of getting to working for your own operation as soon as possible, because I think it can be really scary for a lot of folks to, you know, let go of the day job and just kind of jump in and, you know, tying that into the done is better than perfect. So, you know, you're getting into it and as quickly as you can transition into your own operation full time, because like you were saying for you and your husband, he was able to work on that full time, which then got you to more income through your operation faster. And sure, there's going to be some struggle in between and kind of like, you know, if you're flying a plane, hit those turbulence type of deal, and it's, you know, going to be a little bit rough and bouncy and nerve wracking, but what great advice, because I don't think anyone's really hit on that. You know, a lot of folks have said, keeping your day job until you can work for yourself. But you know, at what, what point does that happen? And I think a lot of people get stuck to where they're trying to juggle both for too long. Whereas if sometimes you just have that leap of faith and go for it, you're going to get to your goal a little bit faster and quicker and tying that back into done is better than perfect of just getting it done and going for it. And so I love your perspective on that. Thank you for going into that. Just everything you answered on that was fantastic. And, you know, we live in a day, day and age of such comfort, you know, we, yes, (laughs) here in America, I think there's not that many people that know how to be uncomfortable anymore. And Yeah. Taking that leap from going from your day job to your operation full time. It's okay to get uncomfortable. It's okay to be uncomfortable. It's okay to 
hurt a little bit. You know, it's okay to struggle. There's yeah. absolutely nothing wrong with that. And I think we need to hear that more. And then as far as it being done is better than perfect, I don't think you can have it perfect because you'll be surprised at how much you learn along the way. You aren't going to know every single question there is until you get moving forward on it. Once you know who your customer base is, well, they're going to hit you up with questions you never even thought of until you start getting the ball rolling with it. You aren't even going to know what some of those questions are or some of the things that you need to do are. And that's where it comes with the relationships. Again, you start getting to know your customer base and they bring forth what they want and you make that adjustment and they almost answer the questions for you. They're going to tell you what they want. So once you Mm -hmm. find your customer base, be flexible, be open, and they'll kind of lead and guide you as to what direction you want to take. Of course, without going out of what you believe in, but more of the fine details, they're going to come as you're in the process. Oh, good perspective on that, Allison. And you're so right with, you know, here in America, I think about this often and I'm fascinated by minimalism. I can never be like a true minimalist, but it's interesting to see, like, to me, their lifestyle looks so uncomfortable, like the extreme minimalism. I'm like, why does that look so uncomfortable? And you're right. It's because we have all of these luxuries that things in other countries would be considered luxuries. And uh, again, like the Dave Ramsey podcast, he talks about beans and rice, right? Being uncomfortable. Do we really need to be eating out occasionally or regularly or getting our coffee through a drive-thru when we could be a little uncomfortable in providing those things at home in order to reach our goals? And so I'm very fascinated by that. And less is more is something that I think about often, whether that's in business or my personal life, or even with just material items, you know, less is more. And how can you get by with what you have at hand and those tools at hand? And uh, you get really creative that way. And I think it helps expand our minds. And you're so right. I love how you went into that. And it's, I think we do need to hear that more often is it's okay to be uncomfortable. It's okay to struggle a little bit. Cause I think that's where we build a lot of character as well. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you, Logan. That was so good, Allison. I love your answer to that. Thank you. All right. So this is always a fun one for me. So out of all the equipment and tools of the trade, what are two that you and your husband could not raise your cattle without? I don't even think that's a fair question, Logan. <laughs> I know it's so hard. Everybody says it like only two. I know because I mean, I think it changes even throughout the day. What are the most too yeah. important. Forget the season. It could oh, be the totally. day, depending on what's Absolutely. going down. <laughs> so yeah, but with taking all that into account, <laughs> for <laughs> us, for sure, one of the most important is a good horse. We like to work our cattle off of horseback and in the terrain that we're in, it's just really important to us that we have a good horse that we can just pull out of the corral in the middle of winter if we have to saddle them up, go and get a job done. So that would be number one. I guess number two would be, gosh, gosh, there's so many, but the one and only part of our operation that we don't do is the actual harvesting of the animal. So for us, we have to have our truck and trailer and we move cattle from pasture to pasture, move them around and whatnot. So a good truck and trailer that you can move cattle and livestock around in and get to the butcher is very important as well. And I guess some people might, yeah. I guess if you're just starting off or depending where you live, you could always hire someone to do that. But it sure is nice when you're not at someone else's mercy. And again, to us, 
you know, part of having such a great quality beef is the fact that these cattle are not stressed before they're harvested. Jeff takes them in the morning of harvest. They do not miss a meal. They do not have these long hauls. So the fact that we have control of that and that we're handling the cattle before they're harvested, so there's no stress, there's no shock. That's really important to us to keep that premium quality beef as well. Absolutely. And I I think that's a fantastic answer to that because your cattle do recognize you. And this is something I've learned this year. And I don't know why I didn't think of this because I know our horses recognize us. I mean, being a horse person and I didn't, I don't know why I never really related that to cattle, but a couple of my, one of my cows and one of my heifers went and stayed with a neighbor to be bred this summer. And I would get to go out with her and check the cows and they recognized me. And my one cow, she broke away from the herd and came right up to me when they were being called in. And so being able to take your own cattle to the butcher on processing day, takes a lot of stress out. I mean, the cattle know you and trust you, even if you're, you know, got a large herd. It's amazing to me how, how much they relate to the person caring for them and that recognition and animals are so smart. And so that was something that I learned. I mean, really, I didn't think my cows would want to come say hi. I thought they just want to be with their herd. And so that really shocked me to be honest, because they were out with, gosh, 50, 60 other cows. And so I think that's a really good point that you brought up there. Uh, You guys being the one to work your cattle, deliver your cattle, taking them on processing day so they're not stressed out and being able to have your own truck and trailer. That's a very valuable tool to have. And I would strongly encourage anybody, you know, the first pieces of equipment you purchase to have your own trailer, even if it's an old, old stock trailer, you know, that you fix up. So you're not at the mercy of other people like you're talking about. And, you know, for emergency situations and all kinds of other things, that by far is such a valuable tool. And that was the first piece of equipment I ever acquired. And of course I had horses. So, you know, just use my horse trailer for my cows. And I still have the same trailer I bought when I was 17 years old. And it's just this three horse rust bucket, but you know, it's in good shape. It's not like it's unsafe, but it's an old piece of equipment. However, that was, you know, that first piece of equipment I bought And it's been with me all this time and you don't need a lot. And so I'm so glad you brought that up as one of your tools. And, you know, on the point of your cattle knowing you, they absolutely know you. We're we're at the point where the herd is so large, Jeff, really, really probably could use some help, but it's the catch 22 for us. Again, we run a coriander breed, so they can be quick. You know, they're they're the roving cattle and they know Jeff though. And Jeff has always gone and steady with them. They know what Jeff wants. They they just see him coming on a horse and they know what he's going to ask of them. And it goes so yeah. smoothly. So although we need, we're at the point where we probably should hire help for him, it's really hard because it might actually be better if he just stays on his own because they know what he wants. And <laughs> <laughs> right. So exactly. And, you know, they, um, they learn those routines, which is really nice. Cause I think a lot of folks might be intimidated starting out by themselves and wondering, you know, how they're going to do that without help. And it's really interesting. Like a side note, we were driving to town uh-huh. yesterday and, uh, we were going down our highway, a rancher was moving his cattle and they had one truck miles ahead, all of their cattle walking down the highway and one truck behind them. Nobody was on horseback. Nobody was on four yeah. wheelers. And all their cow-calf pairs were just walking down the highway. And, you know, they were all over the road and stuff. So it took us forever to get through them. 
which is okay. But the cattle knew what they wanted and they were in that routine and there was no, you know, hype about it. Nobody roughhousing them. They were just going along. And I just thought that was so cool to be able to see that. And it's like, you know, these cattle are smart and they know what you want. They know the routines and they learn to trust you. Yeah. Okay. I always ask this question and can't wait to hear your answer to this. Out of everything we've talked about today, because you've had so many great pieces of advice in there, but what would be your best piece of advice to someone wanting to be a part of the agriculture industry in any capacity in today's world? Oh, gosh. Yeah. (laughs) I think ultimately, again, what I touched on before is if it's God's will for your life to be in the industry, again, he's going to provide everything that you need to do and everything that you need to make it happen. So pray about it and take that leap of faith and let God lead you and guide you each day. Also within that, I think it's the number one thing I think I've learned and grown from my whole experience in making this change is when I first started, because I was ignorant because it was so new to me and I didn't have that much experience. I really had tunnel vision, which in the beginning, I think can be a good thing. You know, it started with this horsemanship and the way I was learning it, I really wanted to be true to it. So I was following this one style of horsemanship and how they were doing things and how they were handling the cattle. And it was really hard for me to do anything differently, but I had to learn how to do things differently without compromising what I believed in or my morals. And there is absolutely a way of going about doing that. So I've seen how really important it is for me to learn to be flexible and learn how to adjust to getting things done to my standards, but going about it in a way I possibly didn't expect to. I think that's very, very important to find that balance. Here, I'm going to repeat myself again. I don't know if there's a better way of saying it. Just that's okay. I really think it's important to learn how to be flexible and adjust in your work without compromising your morals and standards. There's a way of getting a job done without compromising what you believe in. Sometimes there is more than one road. And I really believe that's true. They say, blessed are the flexible for they shall not break. (laughs) And finding that balance of that skill, I should say, of getting the job done and being flexible in how you get it done without compromising your morals or beliefs or standards. I love that, Allison. That is fantastic advice. This has been so much fun. I have thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. You brought so many great perspectives and ideas and advice to this episode that I think is going to be really beneficial for folks that are considering becoming a first-generation rancher or farmer, and even for folks who are already in it that might be in a lull or in a valley and you know kind of stuck. And I think through this conversation, you gave such a fresh perspective on things for folks who may have been in it for years and years. And for those that have already started and maybe they're in the trenches and questioning if this is really what they should be doing. So I appreciate your time today and bringing all of this information. And for those folks listening in, 
Where can they learn more about you and Arrow J Beef? Where can folks follow along on your journey? Sure. So again, we really strongly believe in knowing your food source and we take great pride in being your ranch direct beef source. And when you can't make it out to the ranch here, we do our best to use social media to give you a glimpse of what's happening on the ranch or what's happening with our cattle, or even just to share recipe and meal ideas. So you can find us on Facebook at AeroJ Beef or on Instagram at AeroJ Beef, or you can head on over to our website at aerojbeef.com, which uh, we just have more of our story, all the health benefits of 100% grass-fed and finished beef, and you can just learn more about us there as well. Oh, that's fantastic, Allison. Thank you so much. This was so much fun. And for everybody listening in, be sure to give Allison a follow on either Instagram or Facebook. Her social media platforms are fantastic. And I, I absolutely love the recipe ideas you put out. I got some good ideas oh, good. myself just going through your Instagram page. Oh, <laughs> good. Yeah, we want, we want beef to be a fun, successful experience for everyone. That's what we tell our customers when they buy our beef. We want to be the last person you ever buy beef from. So if there's a way we can help it be a successful experience for you, we're here to answer any questions you might have. That's wonderful, Allison. And you and Jeff are doing such a great job with that. Keep up the great work. This was so much fun. Thank you so much, Logan. I really appreciate you having me on your show. And we love what you do. And we love your passion. And we couldn't agree more. Let's get America ranching again. Amen to that, Allison. Thank you so much. I greatly appreciate you. Thanks, Logan.